Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that because of what you have done and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we were united to Jesus through faith, united into his death, united in his resurrection life, and united now as it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. God, we pray that you would teach us today. Lord, we pray that you would teach us today, not so that we would just know things, Lord, but we pray that so worship would well up in our minds and our hearts and that we would celebrate the God who saves, the God who called us out of death and into life, the God who unites himself with people who were once his enemies, that you laid your life down for your enemies and you call us friends. God, we pray that you would teach us not only so we would worship you in this place, but so that we can fully celebrate the work that you've done in the lives of those who will be baptized today. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my Nona which is grandmother in Italian. It's weird for a person with the last name Smith to have a Nona, uh, but my dad's dad was from Mississippi, therefore I am a Smith. Uh, my, my Nona also uh, was born a Smith. Um, that's, that's what happens when your name is Smith. Uh, there's lots of you. Um, and so she was also born a, a Smith. She was born and raised in Santa Barbara County on land that is now part of Vandenberg Space Force Base. If you weren't aware of that switch, it's no longer Air Force, it's the Space Force. Uh, And she spent her entire life in Santa Barbara outside of the time she spent in nursing school. She was what I imagine to be your average, ordinary, although probably very glamorous Californian girl in her age. She married a local CHP officer who had a very different heritage. Though born in Santa Barbara, he was born to an Italian immigrant family. Uh, My Nona fell in love with her husband, and she also fell in love with her husband's culture. 
She fell in love with my Nono's whole family, the culture. She fell in love with the, the language. She learned the language. She learned the, the recipes. She learned the history and the culture. She immersed herself into the culture and, and Italian heritage, and she began to embody that culture and, and Italian heritage. She raised her, her kids according to the family and social values of that culture, so much so that I'm not kidding. This wasn't like at the beginning of my relationship with my wife. This was like three years ago. My wife found out that Nona was not actually Italian and she had an identity crisis. Your Nona is like the most Italian person I know. I'm like, I know she is, but she's like German, I think. Like, there, she doesn't have an ounce of Italian blood in her. Now, even after my, my, my Nono passed away, she, she continued to very much embody the culture that she was immersed into, the culture that she fell in love with. And so it, she, she just continued to operate in this culture that embraced her. And it wasn't something that happened overnight, right? She, she got married and she received the family name in a wedding ceremony. But it took a lifetime. It took time for these values and this culture to work its way out in her so that even now, even after her husband has, has passed away, my Nono has passed away, she, she has become the matriarch of this Italian family. Not an ounce Italian, and yet completely Italian. See, today is a special day because we get to celebrate baptisms. And to be baptized simply means to be immersed. It means to be immersed. Physically, it means to be immersed in water, but it symbolizes the immersion of our life, the, the submersion of our life and, and our being baptized into the life and the identity of Jesus. The word baptism uh, it means immerse. It was used by those who worked in, uh, fabric, in the fabric industry in the ancient world. They would baptize, immerse the cloth into dyes. And then when they brought the cloth out of the dye, the cloth had taken on the pigment quality, the character quality of the dye. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a word that they used in the, the, the garment industry. Much like my Nona was immersed into the Italian heritage, believers are immersed into water as a sign of their lives being immersed into Christ. There is no magic transformation that occurs when somebody is baptized. But as a believer lives in light of their identity that they received in Christ, they become more and more like the one whose identity they were immersed into. The moment you believe, you receive the family name, so to speak. But it takes an entire life of living in light of what Jesus has done for us that we begin to take on the shape of the culture, of the community, of the kingdom of God. 
See, our text today is a plea that the Apostle Paul makes to the church in Rome. Much like we've been studying through the book of 1 John, the church in Rome that Paul is writing to is wrestling with the implications of the gospel on the way that we live. And so Paul asks a question that reflects the view that some were asking in the church. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And today, believers struggle with the same question. If I am forgiven, if my sins are forgiven, okay, and, and it's God's grace that covers my sin, and, and, and God is glorified by covering my sin in his grace, then why would I worry about not sinning. Why not just sin that grace may cover my sin and God receive the glory? Why not sin that grace may abound? And so Paul reminds them of what occurred at their baptism. See, baptism is more than just a religious ritual. It's an expression of a change in our status, right? It's like marriage. Marriage, a wedding ceremony isn't just a a, 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 a communal ritual. It signifies the change in status. Two people walked in single and out walks one flesh. And in between, there is a rite of passage. In between, there is a, there is a, a ceremony that takes place that signifies what's happening on a deeper level. Baptism is saying, that once you were apart from Christ, but because of what Jesus has done for you through faith, you now belong to Christ. And baptism is the way that we express this because at the most basic level, baptism is a confession of faith in Christ. Baptism is a public confession of faith in Christ. Now, if you have been a Christian for a while, then maybe you have not thought about how silly baptism looks. Like, why do you do this? Why is it that when you believe in Jesus, someone puts you underwater and takes you back up and people clap? What, like, what, the, if you weren't raised in, in, a, in a Christian church, if you weren't raised in the Christian world, and you hear about baptism and and, you know, you see people going down to the water and being baptized. It's featured in movies and all kinds of stuff. What? what in the world is this? For many, we never think twice about people doing this because it's all we've known. But why do we do this? Why do we immerse people in water as a sign of their faith in Jesus? Can't we just say, hey, everybody, I believe in Jesus. Did not Paul say in other places in Scripture that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved? Then what's the deal with the water? Why do we do this? What is this? What's this practice about? Why do we have to get dunked to follow Jesus? Well, first, we need to understand something about rites of passage or initiation ceremonies. See, we're not big on these in American culture. Oftentimes when we think of rites of passage, like coming of age, rites of passage, we often think of, of brutal practices in, in tribal cultures 
where in order to prove themselves a man, boys go out into the wilderness and fend for themselves or even do things more barbaric to come back and finally be accepted as men. And so American culture kind of has a, a, a distaste for this idea of all you have to do is do this thing and, and, then, and now you're a man or now you're a woman. But rites of passage are not completely foreign to us because we're still aware of things like quinceañeras and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. These are rites of passage. They're coming of age ceremonies. And as I already mentioned, a wedding. A wedding is very much a, a, a rite of passage. Not that it's a rite that everyone has the right to it, although, you know, everyone can get married. It's a, a rite. It's a ritual. It's a, it's a rite of passage. And these are celebrations where a, a person comes in as one thing. Think of a quinceañera. They come in as a girl and they leave a woman. And the whole community recognizes this. This is a, this is a, a, a special thing that happens in that person's family, in that person's culture. A wedding is the same way. Two people come in single. And until the vows and the rings and the kiss, anything can happen. But after that, they are one flesh. They're one flesh. They're husband and wife. And so it's what happens in between is this passing from one status to the next, from one, from one identity, so to speak, to this new identity that is celebrated by the community. The community recognizes the transformation and relates to that person or to the couple accordingly. And so when someone puts their faith in Jesus, they pass from death to life. They were once under the dominion of the world and the flesh and the devil, but they have been redeemed. They have been bought by the blood of Christ, and now they belong to Christ. And so baptism is a public declaration that we are no longer part of the world and that the, believing, uh, the, the believer who is baptized now belongs to God. And the believing community relates to that person differently. They are now a brother or sister in Christ. They now belong to the family of God. They were once not a part of God's people, and now they are a part of God's people because of faith, because of what Jesus has done by putting their faith in Jesus. They have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son, and they've become a part of our family. Okay, awesome. So rites of passage. Still though, what's the deal with the water? Why is water baptism the way we celebrate this? Well, water provides a picture of two things. The first is straightforward. It's a picture of ceremonial cleansing. It's a picture that the person who goes into the water, their sins are washed away and, and they emerge spotless, without blemish, forgiven, innocent, pure in the eyes of God. They are cleansed of their sin. But also the passing through water is a familiar picture in Scripture that should cause us to resonate with God's people, to remember the story of God's people and to see ourselves in light of the story of God's people. See, when God brought a flood upon the world in Genesis in order to bring judgment on the wickedness in the world, Noah and his family were saved through the waters. When every thought of mankind was only evil continuously, Scripture says, 
and God is going to wipe humanity out. He sends a flood, but Noah and his family, Noah found favor with God, and Noah and his family are saved by passing through the waters. And when God's people were enslaved in Egypt and God judged the wickedness of Egypt with plagues, the people of God were redeemed, they were delivered from the oppression, from the wickedness, and into freedom through passage through the waters of the Red Sea. God caused the the sea to stand to the side and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. And when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years away from the promised land until God had judged the wicked generation of faithless Israel, God brought the next generation of his people into the promised land through the waters of the Jordan. God caused the Jordan River to stand up in a heap so that the children of Israel could walk across and into freedom. And today we escape the wickedness of our generation, the wickedness of our world, and the judgment of God that is coming upon this world by confessing our faith in Jesus and passing through the waters of baptism. See, the waters represent a transitional point where God's people go from one thing to another. They go from oppression to freedom. They go from wickedness to life to righteousness. They go from death to life. And so where, where the waters are where we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. And so baptism is a confession of faith in Jesus. It's a rite of passage. It is a public statement that we no longer belong to the world, but belong to Christ. And in that sense, baptism is, is a picture of spiritual warfare. If we have a biblical worldview about the, the, the world and everything in it, then when we look out at the world, um, we often have the tendency to think that this world belongs to God, but Satan and evil are invading it and need to be fought off. But that's not the way Jesus talks about the condition of the world. Jesus talks about the condition of the world and the scriptures talk about the world as belonging to Satan. See, the humans had given our dominion to the enemy when we sinned in the garden. And so Satan is is the prince and power of the air. He is the ruler of this world, Scripture says. And there is an invasion, but it's not Satan invading the world. It's Jesus invading Satan's kingdom and redeeming, ransoming people out of Satan's dominion and into the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are not weapons. Gates are barriers trying to keep out the work of God's kingdom and they will not stop it. Gates will not stop what Jesus wants to do. And so baptism in that sense is spiritual warfare. It's saying, not today, Satan. Not this person, Satan. Not this son of God. Not this daughter of God. They are being transferred from your kingdom and into the kingdom of God. It is a celebration because that person was dead in their sins. And now they are alive to Christ Jesus. It is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. Praise God. Hallelujah. Satan will not have his way. (laughs) Baptism is an essential part of the Christian life because it signifies the beginning 
of an individual's believer's new life in Jesus. It's, the, it's the, the celebration of what has taken place. They have put their faith in Jesus. They belong to God. Let's go together and celebrate that in this rite of passage and all of us will acknowledge it together. The public nature of baptism is not only an opportunity for the church to celebrate what God has done and to receive our new brother or sister in Christ, but the church is invited to participate now in the believer's growth and maturity in Christ. See, again, like a rite of passage, think of a wedding. See, before a wedding, if you want to end the relationship, all you need to do is have one very difficult conversation and give the ring back, maybe. He gave it to you. Come on. It was a gift. All you need to do is have a conversation, and you can walk away, and the believing community in that person's life will now uh, come around them uh, and, and comfort both of them, because they're going, that's, that's a tough thing. Breaking up is hard to do. And so they comfort them and console them. But after the marriage vows... After the wedding, after the rite of passage, after the ceremony, when the friends and family come together and they watch them exchange vows and they watch them exchange rings, after that ceremony, if one of them wants to walk away from the relationship, they, the, it's, it's not come to them and, and oh, that's so sad. It's, it's, no, I was there. I heard you promise. I heard you promise before God and man. God and, and your friends and the witnesses. I, I was a witness and now I'm bearing witness. You made a promise. Be faithful to your promise. Be faithful to your commitment. See, we can follow Jesus apart from baptism. We can, and people can hold us accountable. But baptism is that rite of passage that the believing community watches, observes, celebrates. And then when we see one another walking in ways that are not in line with the way God has called his people to live, we can say, I was a witness. I saw you go into the water. I saw you repent of your sin. I saw you turn your back on the kingdom of darkness. I saw you turn toward the kingdom of the beloved son. I saw you say that you were a child of God. I witnessed that and now I'm bearing witness. Do not do these things. Turn from your sin, repent. So that times of refreshing may come. Live the life that Jesus has died so that you could live. Live in righteousness and we hold one another accountable. Because we were there, because we saw what took place, because of their baptism. We can hold one another accountable. And so in this sense, baptism is not just a public confession of faith. It's a public commitment to live a life that reflects the character of Jesus. It's a commitment to live like Jesus. So you remember the context of what Paul is saying here. It's not okay to sin just because grace covers our sin. That's a misunderstanding of grace. It's a misuse of the gospel. Paul says that if we have been baptized, then we have died to sin and we are alive to Christ. No longer do we use our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but we present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. And so if that's who we are on the other side of the rite of baptism, then it must be our intention to pursue that kind of life when we pursue baptism. If on the other side of baptism is a life of righteousness, then what we are committing to when we subject ourselves to the water of baptism is a life of righteousness. It's a life to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus as Jesus loves us and to live as Jesus is righteous. 
But what about the person who has been baptized in the past, right, but still sees evidence of sin in their lives? What about the person who feels drawn to be baptized, but is afraid that they aren't going to be able to live a life that is dead to sin and alive to God? A brother asked me recently, how can I be sure that God is with me when I still sin? How can I know that God is with me when I'm still so aware of the sin in my life, when I'm aware of the choices that are in front of me and I choose sin instead of choosing righteousness? How can I be sure if I'm not righteous like Jesus? Maybe some of you are here today and and you're looking back on your baptism and you're thinking, did that even work? Was Was that even real? Or maybe you are thinking uh, about being baptized and you're just, I don't know if I can do that. I I know myself. And if nothing magic happens in baptism, something magic better happen in baptism because I'm going to keep living the way that I'm living. And so far, I fail. I'm not righteous as he is righteous. I'm not holy as he is holy. I don't love as he has loved. I want to, but I'm afraid that I can't. Listen, your salvation has never been nor will ever be based in your performance. I believe some of you need to hear that again. That your salvation has never been based in your performance. It will never be based in your performance. Your salvation wholly and completely is based in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done for you. It is based in Jesus' performance and not your own. Listen, just before this passage, Romans 5, 8 through 10 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If God sent his son to die for his enemies, then now that you are called a friend of God, how much more will you receive grace? How much more will you receive grace and power for life and righteousness now that God looks at you not as an enemy, but as his friend, as his child? You can run to him and you will receive grace. You are not saved by your performance. You will never be saved by your performance. You are not saved by the size of your faith, the amount of your faith, but you are saved by the object of your faith, that you have put your faith in Jesus and Jesus will certainly assuredly bring you from death to life. You are not saved by your righteousness. You are saved by his righteousness. You are not saved because you subjected yourself to the waters of baptism. You are saved because of what the waters represent. That You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. You have died to sin and are alive to God. Your life is no longer yours. You belong to Jesus. And because you belong to Jesus... Because you belong to Jesus, all that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. And this is the ultimate truth that we celebrate in baptism. Baptism is a confession of faith in Christ. It's a commitment to live like Christ, but it is a celebration of union with Christ.
Again, I want to keep drawing us back to the marriage analogy because I think it's, it's one of the best analogies we have to understand the importance and value of baptism. Two individuals stand at the altar, but they walk away one life. They walk away one flesh. And so baptism is a celebration that through faith, you have been made one with Christ. As a husband and wife are united in marriage, you through faith are united to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, unites you to Jesus, and the scriptures say we have become partakers of the divine nature, that we are actually caught up in the life and love of our triune God, that we are united to him in covenant. And so everything in a marriage, everything that belongs to a husband belongs to the wife. Everything that belongs to the wife belongs to the husband. This is why I said this before, when I married my wife, what belonged to her was way too much student debt. It belonged to me. Then it belonged to her. And then she started a business that God blessed and she paid off my student debt. Because what's hers is mine. <laughs> and what's mine is hers. See how that works? Same thing happens in G with Jesus. What belongs to you now belongs to Jesus. What belonged to Jesus now belongs to you. There is no prenuptial agreements in Christ. He does not reserve the right to retain his estate. See, he gives you the kingdom. He is the heir of all things. Everything that exists is his inheritance. It belongs to him. It is rightfully his, and you have been united to him. That is why scripture says you are a co-heir with Christ. What belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. What belongs to you now belongs to Jesus. And both of these are good news. See, because what belongs to you? Everything that you think is good about who you are, everything that you think is good about what you have done, your gifts, your relationships, your resources, your status, your successes, all of it belongs to Jesus. And because it belongs to Jesus, though they are good things, Jesus redeems those things. And now it's no longer used for your glory, but it's used for God's glory. What belongs to you belongs to Christ, and you are now an instrument of righteousness. And so the good things that you have that God has given you now are used for his glory. Even the good things in our lives need to be redeemed need to be redeemed and used for his glory. Even the, the good works that we've accomplished now serve to magnify God's glory. And everything that is ours that we're not proud of, our sin, our shame, that too belongs to Jesus. And as his, he has the right to do with it as he pleased. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Though it was not his doing, it was not his sin, yet he received it as though it were his own in our union with him. And he did exactly what he desired to do with it. He nailed it to the cross. Your sin with Christ was nailed to the cross and your sin died with Christ on the cross, and your sin was buried with Christ in the grave, and three days later when Jesus rose from the dead, guess what didn't? Your sin. Your sin stayed dead. It was his to do what he pleased with, and he left it in the grave. 
so that now it has no more claim on you and who you are. Someone wanted to shout, can't we all? You don't need an invitation. You can do that all on your own. This is good news that he freed us from the penalty of our sin by suffering that penalty in our place. And so whatever you thought was yours, good or bad, it belongs to Jesus. He redeems the good. He crucifies the bad. You are set free from sin and all that remains is what is in Christ because what belongs to you belongs to Jesus and what belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Because we have been united to Jesus, all that belongs to Jesus is ours. Salvation and eternal life are not rewards for getting the right answer on a like religion test. Like, hey, here, little Jimmy, um, you've got all of these gods and deities and philosophies to choose from. Pick wisely. I choose Jesus. Boom, gold star. That's not what it is. Okay, we're not just trying to get the right answer on a religion test. When we trust in Jesus, our lives are united to Christ. And so we are given what belongs to him. See, and so the reason you are righteous is because Jesus is righteous. You belong to him. His righteousness belongs to you. The reason you are declared holy is because Jesus is holy. You belong to Jesus and Jesus' holiness belongs to you. The reason you have eternal life is because the power over death belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. So guess who has the power over death? You do. We don't come to Jesus to get things that are external of himself. We come to Jesus, we get Jesus and everything that belongs to Jesus, everything that we have, everything that we need, everything that is good about belonging to Jesus, we get not because we got the right answer, but because we got Jesus and Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. There is no other way to the father except through him because there is no other name under heaven by which people must be saved other than the name of Jesus. We come to Jesus and we get every good thing in God. We come to Jesus and we get every good thing in Christ. And so what we celebrate today in baptism is that through faith, we're united to Jesus, that we belong to Jesus, that Jesus belongs to us. And so when he died and was buried, we died and were buried with him. And when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead with him. And when he returns to rule at the end day as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the scriptures say that we will reign with him because we have been united to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are co-heirs of the kingdom of God because you've been united to Jesus. Now, some of you are gonna get baptized today and that's amazing. Some of you are on the fence about whether or not you want to be baptized today. And I just want to encourage you, if you believe, be baptized. If you believe, if you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you are are desiring to live a life that honors him, and you know that because he raised from the dead that you too will be raised from the dead, then there is no reason why you should withhold yourself from the waters of baptism. Jesus does not withhold it from you. He invites you in. And so if you're on the fence today, I just want to give you a push. Be baptized today. Some of you are on the fence about Jesus. That's that's fine. 
This is a safe place to wrestle with our convictions and to wrestle with what we believe and the scriptures teach. And if you're on the fence today about Jesus, I would ask you to refrain from baptism. Don't, don't think that baptism is going to put you over the edge. Okay, don't, if you're, baptism is not uh, something to cleanse you of, you know, partying too hard last night or to earn favor with God or anything like that. If, if you're on the fence about Jesus, I want to encourage you, put your faith in Jesus. Believe in him, trust in him for what he has done for you to forgive you of your sins and give you an eternal life with God. Believe in Jesus. And then there's nothing to withhold to keep you from the waters of baptism. Be baptized today. Put your faith in Jesus and be baptized. Many of us simply need to remember our baptism from years ago, right? It's, it's been in the past and, 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 you know, our life and so much has changed. But Jesus hasn't changed, okay? And, and what we need is not necessarily to be baptized again. What we need is to remember what God has done. It's still true today. You've been united to Christ. You belong to him. You have eternal life in him. You have believed. You've been baptized. We need to remember today what God has done in our lives, and we need to celebrate that today. See, life may have changed, but Jesus never does. You still belong to him, and so we're invited to celebrate not only those being baptized today, but we are to celebrate afresh what God has accomplished in our lives, no matter how long ago it was or what has transpired since. You are united to Christ through faith, and that's what we're going to celebrate together today. Now, I'm going to invite the, the worship team up, and in a moment, I'm going to pray, but I need to talk about how this is all going to go down today. We are going to respond to this in, in worship. We're going to respond to this in, in song. The worship team is going to come up, and we're going to respond in song and communion. But if you are wanting to be baptized today, I don't want to pull you right out. I want you to be able to sit for a moment in what God has done and worship him as the body of Christ. But after the first song, I'm going to ask that you do this. After the first song, I want you to meet me by the silver doors out here in the parking lot. Okay, if you want to be baptized today, doesn't matter if you didn't bring a change of clothes or anything like that. Don't let anything stop you. I'll, I'll, I'll send someone to my house and pick up clothes for you if that's going to stop you from getting baptized. Uh, meet at the silver doors by the end of, of the first song. We're going to walk down to the beach together. Um, we're going to just head out here to Palm, walk straight down Palm over the dune. It's probably, it's a beautiful day. There's probably a bunch of people at the beach. I don't care. We're just going to take over the beach for Jesus. Um, and, and so we're going to go, we're going to go out there. See, I tell you that you don't need an invitation to applause, but then I don't ever shut my mouth. And so maybe it's my fault. Um, uh, we're going to walk to the beach together. Um, and then the rest of us are, are going to remain here. We're going to continue worshiping. Um, and, and then after the close of service, what I want everyone to do, and, and I, I, really, I really encourage everyone, whether you're visiting, um, whether you're new here, uh, whether you got plans a little later this afternoon, I really want to encourage everyone who can, just please come to the beach and watch what God is doing. Celebrate these baptisms of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so come um, out to the beach and we're going to continue to worship there on the beach. Uh, some, some of the, the ladies on the worship team are going to head out there and do a little acoustic worship while we celebrate the, the baptisms. 
And then after the baptisms, immediately after the baptisms, we're going to all walk back to that parking lot area under the canopies there by the barbecue pits, and we're going to have a meal together. We've got, we're, I think there's people already, the fire's already burning, things are already starting to barbecue, and so we're going to share a meal together, and we're just going to enjoy what God's doing. We're going to enjoy one another, we're going to enjoy a meal, and, and we're going to celebrate together. And so whether you're a part of this church, whether you're a believer or not, it doesn't matter. Come and at, at least eat. Come and celebrate what God is doing, and let's share a meal together. And so, I'm so excited for this. This is awesome. So if you're being baptized after the first song, meet at the Silver Doors. There's places to change at the beach. If you are not being baptized, then let's continue to worship in this place. Um, And then immediately after the close of service, we're all going to walk down together and and celebrate this together. I'm going to close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who are taking that step of faith to publicly declare in, uh, in, in this place in front of God and, and friends and family and, and everyone at the beach uh, that you are the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and that we belong to you. God, we pray that all of what happens today would be for your glory and for the good of your people. And so continue to stir our hearts up at this time to worship and celebrate what you have done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.